So tonight, Romans chapter 8, we're going to end this series on freedom. Probably one of the most difficult concepts for a pastor to, to, to communicate and this issue of love. Now, when we started this journey together and I looked at the different words that we were looking at about empowered and strengthened and, and encouraged and set free and transformed and all of those other words, I, I really thought when I went into this series, well, love, that's going to be the easiest word to, 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 for us to understand and to communicate. And you know what it's turned out to be? It's turned out to be one of the most difficult words to communicate because in our society, we have dumbed it down to where it really can mean a lot of different things. You know, I was thinking about how can I, how can I understand, how can I explain so that we understand the difference that our life would be if we understood to the depths how much God loves us. So you know what I thought of? I thought of the difference between James Bond 007, which is so cool, and, uh, and Jason Bourne. Now, many of you like me, we were raised on James Bond 007. And James Bond 007, he knew everything, right? I mean, he, he knew who he was. He knew how he liked his clothes. He knew how he liked his food. He, he knew his secret weapons. He knew how to operate his secret weapons. James Bond, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, was always in control. He even knew how to drive his car. He knew who his boss was. He knew who he reported to. He knew... He knew how to, how to use all of the gadgets and all of the things that they gave him. And then along comes this new spy thriller, this new guy, Jason Bourne. And Jason Bourne, a lot of people say one day we'll replace James Bond. I don't think so. But, but Jason Bourne is living his life. I'm telling you, uh, Jason Bourne is living his life trying to figure everything out. He knows that somehow, some way, he's probably worked for the the CIA. He knows that somehow he's been involved in some secret type missions, some government type missions. Jason Bourne doesn't even know if Jason Bourne is his real name. He doesn't even know who his parents are. He doesn't know who his real parents are. Jason Bourne doesn't know if he's married. Jason Bourne doesn't know if he's single. He, Jason Bourne doesn't know where he's come from. Jason Bourne doesn't know any of these things. And, Je and James Bond knows exactly who he is and exactly his, his mission. And Jason Bourne is on another spy quest and he's trying to figure out who he is. James Bond knows his identity. And with that, he lives with confidence. Jason Bourne doesn't know his identity, doesn't know who he is. He doesn't have any confidence in life. He's going through life trying to figure everything out. The question for you and me this evening is this. In the spiritual life, are you James Bond? Do you know who you are? Do you know that your identity when you're in Christ is in Christ? And it gives you confidence? Gives you confidence? Are you more like Jason Bourne? You're still trying to figure out who you are in Christ. You're still trying to find out your identity. You see, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that when we know who we are, when we know our identity is in Christ, it changes everything about us. And we live life not trying to figure a bunch of stuff out 
We live life with great confidence. Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 31. You know what? I'm just going to read through 31 through 39. And then we're just two points, uh, two principles to unite. So I'm improving. Last week we had one. This week we have two. Who knows how many we'll have next week? Maybe five. I'll shock you. Watch this. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if that doesn't change your life, nothing will. We're going to understand that in just a second. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how will we not also with him graciously give, give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God. It's God who justifies, not your friend, not relationship. It is God who justifies. Amen. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that in Christ Jesus our Lord Paul is trying to get them to understand that God loves you, and that should give you confidence. Fact is, if you understand the Greek and you read through this, it is horrible grammatically. In other words, there's one run-on sentence after another. There's question marks, there's exclamation marks. Some of the stuff doesn't even read well. And what most theologians say, that Paul was so amped up, he was so excited. He's like, if you don't get this, it's like the scribe could not keep notes quick enough when Paul was given, because Paul understood that you've got to understand, and I've got to understand how much God loves us. You see, some of the problems is many of us, all of our lives, we've heard God loves us. We may have started singing it out in Sunday school. We may started, parents started telling you God loves us. We learned some songs about that. And you know what happens? We, as adults, we go, yeah, yeah, I know that. Tell me the deep things of God. Let me tell you something that is the deep things of God. And so many times we've heard that God loves us so much. We just... We don't even understand the depth that we've just, we've gotten used to it. The simple word love is so hard for us to understand and comprehend. And so how do you, how do you explain something that's hard to understand? How do you explain something that's hard to comprehend? So... Maybe if I just do the best I can to define out what love means, it would help because our world has hijacked the word love. And many of us have been in relationships and we've been in situations and we says, if that's what love is, I want nothing of it. If that's how God loves me, there is no confidence in that. You see, see, we, we use this word love, and, and I love Pepsi, and I love Coke, and I love the Broncos, and I love the Cowboys, and, and, uh, and I love God. I love Colorado. I love hot dogs. I love Texas. I, uh, 
I, I love pizza. I love hamburgers. I love fried food. Oh, and I love God. I love my truck. I love my car. I love my house. I love my wife. I love my husband. I, I love my dog. Oh, and I love God. You see, here's what's happened in our culture, in our language. We only have one word for love. And so what's happening is we have totally dumbed it down. And some people have hurt some other people by using and hijacking the word love. And their definition of love was that they wanted something from you. And it was not a commitment from them to you. And so many times, this is what it gives us difficulty in understanding what this word love means. But, but fortunately, in Paul's day, he had the Greek language. Do you realize that the, this form of Greek was only around for a very short time, just a couple of hundred years. Fact is, it was the most specific language ever known, still to date, to man. There was three words in the Greek language for love. From a friendship love, from an erotic love, or a, a romantic love. And Paul chose the most specific word for love that was so rarely used in their culture in their time. Agape. Fact is, anybody that used this word in the Greek language, man, they knew. Someone didn't throw this word around, I like food at that level. This word agape that Paul uses that says God loves us, no, he agapes us was a love that is so different from any earthly form of love. I love you in a way that I need nothing back. God does not agape you tonight because you're in church. Because you serve in ministry. Because you read your Bible because you're successful, because you have a high GPA, because you've got a bunch of degrees. He doesn't love you because you preach, because you can lead in worship, because you do a lot of spiritual things. He doesn't lead, love you because you're a strong leader. He doesn't lead, love you because you're a successful leader. He doesn't love you because you're popular. He doesn't love you because you have a lot of gifts and you have a lot of talents. Agape love has nothing to do with your performance. He doesn't quit loving you because you failed, because you blew it, because you didn't measure up, because you made a commitment that you couldn't keep. How do you explain a love that says, I love you? See, in, in our time, we, we've hijacked this word love. And generally, we're saying, I love you because I mean think about life there's a lot of people that love you because after church 
Go to Walmart and go to the card section and go to the, go to the, read all the Hallmark cards about love. It's always, I love you because. All of them. I love you because. So people may love you because you're smart. They may love you because you're successful. They may love you because you're funny. They may love you because of your personality. They may love you because of your, uh, you're generous. Uh, they, and we go through the list, but you know the problem with that? It puts pressure on relationships, right? If someone loves you because you're beauty, what happens when the beauty fades? If someone loves you because you're successful, what happens when you fail? If someone loves you because you're funny, then they marry you and find out you're just annoying. (laughs) You're in trouble, I'm telling you. (laughs) If someone loves you because you're happy, what happens when you're sad? If someone loves you because you're positive, what happens when you go through hurt and you're, you're negative? You see, we've hijacked this word love and we have made it sporadic and conditional. Earthly love, hallmark. Earthly love is I love you because... The most purest form of love is the love that God has for us. This is, I love you. Not because. I just love you. If not, what does God mean by that? When he says, I love you. I love you because I can't live without you. I love you because I just cannot imagine heaven without you. It wouldn't be heaven. I love you because you're funny and you entertain me. No. He says, I agape you. I love you. Not based upon your performance. Not based upon expecting anything in return. I love you not because you're attractive, not because you're good, not because you're athletic, not because you've earned it, not because you've jumped through enough hoops and done enough positive things to where you've like earned my love. How do you explain a love like that? I just love you. Maybe. Maybe you've heard people tell you that God has loved you all of your life. And you've never really believed it. Maybe at one time in your life, You believe God loved you. And something happened. 
loss of your health, loss of a marriage, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, some hurt, some pain in your life. And you came to the point in your life to where you said, you know what? I don't know that I believe he loves me anymore. Maybe. You've been disappointed that you have met some hypocritical, judgmental Christians that have judged you and hurt you deeply. And it caused you to question God's love. If we truly understood how much God loves us, then we would have a joy. No matter the struggle, no matter the situation, no matter what we walk through. I, I, I'm listening to the worship team lead us in the song, uh, Blessed Be Your Name. Forgive me if I get the words wrong, I always do. He said, blessed be your name, for you give and you take away. Have we, have we ever thought, this is what was going through my mind. God, there are some good things you, there are some, I'm sorry, there are some things that you took away from me to protect me. A lot of times we look at the you give and you take away. The take away is some positive things. Do you realize that there are some things that God has taken away from me? Some situations that he has taken me out of? Some hurt? Do you realize there's a lot of hurt that God has taken away from me? Because of his love? If we realized how much God loves us, our confidence, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the situation that we go to see, if we understood how much God loves us, that he agapes us, we would never be bitter. Because we would understand the love that he has for us. When we understand that God agapes us, we would be people of forgiveness because we would understand to the depths that we have been agaped, we have been forgiven. And as a result of that, we would be people of forgiveness. When we understand how much God has done for us, we would walk in confidence and we would walk in, in joy. We would be grace-giving, we would be forgiving, we would be joyful people. The most joyful people on the planet. Because at the end of the day, no matter how our day went, we would know when we lay our head on a pillow that we are loved that we are cared for. And this section that Paul writes is different than any other section 
in the book of Romans, run-on sentences, exclamation points, question marks. Because Paul was like, you've got to get this. Verse 31, watch this as we walk through this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? If you're like me, you can come up with a list. Right? Paul's being real. Paul's being honest. He's not saying that there will not be people against us, but Paul is saying this. If God is for you, if you are in Christ, you're agape by him, then who can be against you? So you wake up and you're about ready to begin another day and you make a list. And I don't know what your list includes. I don't know if your list includes marital issues. I don't know if your list includes uh, parenting issues. I don't know if your list includes fear of the future. I don't know if your list includes some health issues or some financial issues. I don't know if your list includes some struggles at the office. I don't know if your list includes dealing with some failure in your life. But you could say, if God is for me, man, if God is for me, who can be against me? It doesn't matter what I'm going to walk through today. Because I have confidence that I am deeply loved. Every time I read this verse, I think of my best friend, met him in the fourth grade, name was Phil. Phil in the fourth grade could, could grow sideburns and a full mustache that made most men jealous. I mean, Phil was awesome. He was like this big guy, and, uh, and I was a lot smaller than Phil. And, and uh, whenever I was around Phil, I talked a lot more trash than when I was not with Phil. Because Phil said, I always got your back. And I always knew what trouble I got myself into, Phil would get me out of it. The same is true with God. If God is for you, if God, I don't care how big your list is, is if God is for you, who can possibly be against you? Look at this. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for, for, for us all, how we will not also with him graciously give us all things. He's saying, you know what? I didn't spare my own son. See, the wording is strange here. See, the Jews, Jews got it. We don't. See, we're saying, what's so big about that? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. What? Yeah, we, we kind of get that. That's a sacrifice, but not like the Jews. See, the Jews remembered Abraham and Isaac. The Jews remembered when God called Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And he took him up to the, the, the altar and he was about ready to sacrifice him. See, see, the Jews understood that the ultimate loyalty to God was I'll follow God anywhere. I'll follow God regardless. And in a moment, God moved and made provisions and Abraham didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. And he's saying... God didn't spare his own son. His loyalty to you 
is strong and it is powerful. God forever determined our worth. He set our value as a person and when he paid the price with his only son, when he gave us Jesus Christ, he said, that's how valuable you are. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's those of you in Christ. It is God who justifies. Did you catch that? God justifies, not man. Amen. Man, a lot of us, we're living our life trying to justify ourselves to everybody else and get acceptance, and we're probably never going to get it. God is the only one who has a right to bring a charge against us because He's the only one that's holy, He's the only one that's perfect. And it says, he is the one that justifies us. Verse 34, who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You realize he's praying for you? He is interceding on your behalf. In other words, someone has to pay the price for our sin, and it's done. It's him. And Paul says four things about Christ. He died. He rose again. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is now interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or, or nakedness or, or danger or sword? A couple of things. God loves you and I without an unchanging love. You don't have to worry and wonder one moment if you're in the family, you're out. He loves us with an unchanging love. And the second thing is this, is that nothing can separate us from his love. Verse 37, now, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. He wants us to know that he agapes you. And Paul is saying that when we understand the depths of his love for us, it's a game changer for us. It changes the choices we made. It changes how we live our 
life. And he says, watch this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When you're in Christ, not even you. Nothing. Sometimes we have a tendency to look at the good times in life and the hard times in life as the measurement stick, the, the ruler, the gauge, whether God loves us or not. And if you're looking for a yardstick of God's love for you, then do not look at your circumstances. Paul is saying, you want a yardstick? You want a measurement stick of how much God loves you? You look at the cross. Paul's bringing them down to the point of saying, it's not your circumstances, it's not your situation, it's not... It's not the hurt, it's not the pain, it's not the celebrations, it's not the good times. What demonstrates his love for us, and the key is in a little bitty word in verse 37, watch this. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now that's weird. In the English language, that would indicate past tense. Let me me flash this out and we'll close. Because the, 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 the... The secret is in this word loved. You see, in the Greek, this word loved, E-D, or this word loved, is in the perfect present tense. And so it speaks of this, or an E-S, I'm sorry, it's in the perfect present tense, which it speaks of a, of a kind of, a, of ongoing love, but not E-D. E-D, loved, in the Greek, is an eritus uh, participle, eris. Uh, present tense participle, which means this, that God loved you at a point in time in past, the cross, and God, God continues to love you today, and God continues to love you tomorrow. It's this picture of God didn't just love you at one point and that was it. That God loves you And God demonstrated on the cross when he sent his son to die and bleed on the cross and die a death that would give you forgiveness of sin and shed uh, his blood for you for forgiveness of sin. And then he has an ongoing love for you that is never ending, that is not conditional, that is not dependent upon circumstances or situations. And what Paul is trying to get them to understand is this, is God loves you. And if you want a ruler, if you want a yardstick, and if you need that, then the picture is the cross, what he did for you on the cross. It's not your circumstances, it's not your situations, it's not how popular you are, it's not how successful you are, it's not what people are saying about you or speaking into your life. The proof is what he did for you on the cross. And he loved you then. And when you're in Christ, and you receive him, 
and your sins are washed away. That he loves you. He proved that love to you back on the cross. You've accepted it. You've received it. And he loves you with an unconditional love that is ongoing. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Every week we end our service this way, and I ask you pretty much the same question. Man, what is God saying to you? And tonight, let me help you with that. God is saying to you, I agape you. Man, I love you. The question for you tonight is, will you receive it?